Welcome to the Architect of Change Show with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman and Associates. Now here's Connie. Hi, I'm Connie Whitman, your host, and you're listening to Architect of Change on webtalkradio.net. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. So my motivational quote today is about life changes and how we have to embrace those changes because inevitably it is what it is. So the quote today is by Eckhart Tolle, and it says, accept, then act, whatever the present moment contains, accept it as if you had chosen it. Always work with it, not against it. This will miraculously transform your life. Like David Bowie says, change seems to be the one constant in our lives. More and more frequently, we hear news um, that a friend or a family member has had a major life crisis, examples, a layoff, a divorce, or even worse, uh, horrible illnesses. How can we not stop and and wonder, what if this were to happen to me? How would I manage? Uh, Taking steps now to prepare for those unexpected calamities can really, really, really help. So I'm very excited today to introduce my guest, Kim Montgomery, who is an expert in resolving credit issues and is the CEO of her own firm in Manhattan called All Credit Resource. She's going to share some really simple things that we can do better um, to be prepared for events beyond our control, which will help us all, I hope, sleep better at night. So with that, welcome, Kim. Hello. How are you, Connie? I am good. How are you? I'm good. Good to be back on the show. Yes, so, yes. This is you're not. You're, this is your second round with me, young lady. Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, I loved that quote by Eckhart Tolle because really, we do have to accept what is. And with that said, that's our discussion today is all about how can we plan for those financial things that can go wrong due to that list that I, I gave earlier. So um, scary, right? Life is sometimes a scary thing to live through, right? We like, were. We were I I agree. I I think it's life is quite stressful, to be honest with you. And I think the one thing that I think causes a lot of people stress, and I think in the last uh, few years, is uh, money. Uh, The lack of money, the worry about people wanting money from you, uh, not being able to purchase things, not being able to have the necessities, um, you know, have, have just caused, I think, you know, as they say, a perfect storm. Um, that we're now just now coming out of uh, in the last maybe 12 months or so. Yeah, and and it's really true. I mean, I have you know family members who are out of work for extended period of periods of time. I've had you know friends who have had severe illnesses or a, a premature death of some kind. So what what do you do if you don't have any of those planning pieces in place? So I'm really excited about our discussion today because I I think you and I are going to define a couple of things as well as give some recommendations on how to be better prepared. And I think everybody thinks that in order to prepare, you have to have a lot of money. And it's actually, I think, the reverse. When you don't have a lot of money, you really do have to prepare for those crazy events um, because you're left holding the bag. So my first thing, I think let's kind of – define financial crisis like what is it and if you can define that for the listeners and maybe give some better examples even that I gave about how it can happen and how we may not always be in control well I think that the first thing is when we talk about finances money 
is that we have to say that everybody's financial situation is not alike. And that's why it's called personal finance. So whatever may be going on with one group of people or, you know, different genders, uh, you know, it's going to be a different experience. And I think that when we sort of try to define, you know, financial crisis, basically it's just like with anything else. Financial crisis occurs when you aren't in a place that is well. So it's sort of the opposite of well-being. You are in a situation where you cannot meet the obligations that you have, whether current, whether ongoing, and you don't feel secure. And when you don't feel secure, what happens? Your life quality, the enjoyment of your life, your ability to, to make good decisions, your ability to thrive, your ability to do so much with regard to being comfortable and feeling good about situations is either diminished or is gone outright. So I think the the definition is just that. Crisis is when you're not in a state of well-being with regard to finance. And it's so funny because that definition is so broad, but think about it. People stay in jobs even though they're capable of so much more because it's it's safe. I know it's here, even though they have to put kids through college and, and whatever it is. So they're not living up to their full potential because of fear. And I talk about fear a lot on the show because I think it holds people back. But also that you you want to you want to do things and you can't do things. So that causes stress, which can cause disease within our body, which then causes us to be out of work. And it becomes almost that self-looking glass. It's that vicious cycle and you, you can't get out of it, right? It's, it's that right. black hole and, and you, you don't know where to go. So that's why I was really excited about today's conversation, because I think, I think even though the economy is recovering a little bit and, you know, there's a little bit more leeway and you see a lot more want ads and, you know, like post things of, you know, look for a job inside kind of thing and hiring, whatever it is, I still think people are financially distressed right now for, for fear that they're not, they're either going to lose their job or get sick or not be able to meet the obligations of kids going through college, funding their retirement, whatever it might be for them. So, yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right, and I think it does cause stress, which can be another whole ball of wax and, and cause, um, you know, problems. In your experience, Kim, what, what what are common causes of financial distress or financial crisis? Well, I think the first thing is job loss. Mm. I think job loss is something that we experienced quite a bit in the last maybe five or six years. Yeah. And you had people who had a certain level of security um, they had a certain level of income, mm. and almost overnight you had people, and you had masses of people who suddenly had no work, who had no income. Yeah. And yeah. this was no place to that, go. Right, and no place to go. No, You couldn't get loans. You had to go on welfare. You had to, you know, do the best you could. Um, you know, I personally know people like that. I have uh, another business, and I almost lost my business in 2009 for that Mm. very reason. Suddenly I had lots of contracts, and then almost overnight I had, you know, one. 
And it was like, oh, wait a minute. But I had a lot of credit that was out there based on my uh, contract and my income. And suddenly mm-hmm. overnight it was different. And I had to figure it out. It was either close up shop and go, you know, whatever, or to fight back. And I fought back and, you know, uh, I was one of the fortunate ones. But, yeah. you know, for a lot of people that is not the case. And, you know, things can happen quickly. You can have an accident. Yes. And your life is changed forever. You can yes. lose a spouse who is the main breadwinner and through death or divorce. And yes. suddenly you have no income. You can have something as simple as getting pregnant and being a single woman and yes. suddenly needing to take care of a child and, and all the things that go with that. You could have yes. an elderly parent who suddenly needs care and there is there are no provisions for that um you know it just so much um i had a lot of clients and still do that you know interest rates were lowered in the around 2000 you know 2 2003 and it kind of opened the door for people to go buy homes for little or nothing, and everything was lenient, and everybody ran out and bought a house and thought this would be secure, and then they didn't have any income or they didn't have yeah. enough income to be able to sustain the housing. Sure. So suddenly they couldn't sustain the housing, and they were being foreclosed on, and they were basically out there, and once again at square one. So it's it's and that was something that totally – you know, one of the things that I kind of found that was interesting is that I was had lots of people who were salt of the earth, had worked all their lives. And I had a few people say to me, I thought I would always have a job. Mm. I, you know, I worked for the city or I worked for the state, and I thought I would sure. always have a job. And suddenly they didn't have a job and, you know, had no provisions really because I always thought they'd have a job. So instead of getting a pension, you were getting a buyout. And you know, and you know that what, you know what's scary though too. But you know what's scary? I think, and you know, I know my husband and I. We've we've gone through you know where I was on full commission, and he had a, a job. This we had first purchased our house, first year of owning our house. This is 23 years ago, and the stock market changed, and I was um, you know doing working in the investment area, and full commission. And I took a huge cut in pay, like, you know, 20 grand, which is a lot when you have a house, right? And he lost his job. (laughs) We needed both incomes to survive. And I remember, thank God, we we had credit available to us, right? And we leveraged ourselves, which is not the way you want to do, but we survived. We ate a lot of macaroni, a lot of peanut butter and jelly, and a lot of hot dogs that year. Um, You know, bare bones. We survived on the bare bones. Eventually, he got a job. And then, you know, we started banging down on the additional debt we had taken on. You know, it took us one year to get into debt and three years to get out of that debt. Here's the thing. You have to stop and try to get out of, out of the debt, though. I mean, if we had carried that and kept carrying that, it becomes a you know, boulder that you, you just can't get rid of. So I know a lot of people are saying, yeah, but what if, right? It happens, and, and you have to make choices, and I think you have to eliminate and try to minimize that additional debt. But things happen sometimes that you just, like a job loss or someone getting ill, that you can't can't think about and and you know i don't know about you personally but i always say to my husband we always have a plan b and a plan c 
And our plan B is, you know, the house is, I love my house. It's not a huge house, but I love my house. We use every inch of it, the kids and, and my husband and I. It's a good school system, all those things. God forbid something happened to my business, right? Because that's, I, I, we need my income to survive. I tell my husband, sell the house. It's a house. It's a thing. As much as your ego says, oh, I don't want to lose the house, it doesn't matter. You sell the house, you rent for a while, restabilize, and then, you know, because we would still have his income. And then figure out, let me build up my business again, right? Go, go into triage uh, mode. Exactly. I don't know that, but see, I don't know that everybody thinks or has a backup plan. And I think ego gets in the way of, well, if I sell my house, everybody's going to know. Who cares? You know, everybody has known someone or has been through a job loss. So if you have to sell your house, sell your house. What better than getting deeper and deeper and deeper into debt to the point where, you can't unbury yourself, right? Right. And I think you just you just said a word, and I want to jump on that and, and <laughs> kind of move us into how do you get prepared for this stuff yeah. when it happens. And you said a word, and the word you said was, what's the word you said? Starts with a T. Starts with A. Starts P with a T. A T. Oh, T. You have to, a P, like Peter. A T. Oh, T. I said T. Um, triage. No. Well, that's part of it. You said think. You said think. And when you you think, oh. you're talking about financial instability, financial issues, financial crisis. That leads to a change in resources across the board. And in order to really move forward and to figure out what are we going to do, how can we possibly be prepared? How can we go forward? You have to change the way you think. And with a change in thinking, because it changes in the way you feel, which is basically sure. what you're saying by sell the house. And when you come to a different change in thinking and the way you feel, you can make changes in what you do. And that yes. is huge and key and exactly what you just said. Yes. Well, I think also when you stop and you breathe and, but here's the thing. I mean, that's my, that has always been my plan B since almost 15 years ago when I started my business. It's volatile. You said it before you had a business, you had a big client, they pulled out. What do you do? You know, can you survive with the amount of debt you have? And the reality is if my business folded where every one of my clients said, yeah, can't we don't like you anymore. Bye-bye. Right. You know, you have to, not, not that I would say, oh, what am I going to do? I would have to go find new clients and start, you know, continue to pound the pavement, which I do anyway. But I would be, you know, really aggressive in doing that. In the meantime, we sell the house and we rent. Just, you know, mm -hmm. you got to stop and pause and say, all right, again, that's why I thought triage. Let's do some triage. Let's kind of stop the bleeding, stop the hemorrhaging, rethink what we're doing. Think clearly where you can breathe again, and then, boom, you can move forward. And, you know, it's funny. Every time I've been stressed about money, the clients coming to me slows down. When I don't worry about money, where I'm not thinking about it, I'm just thinking about my skills, my behaviors, keep developing, keep networking, keep doing what you know you need to be doing. So when I, I do those good behaviors, the business comes when from places you would never even know that it was going to come from, a referral from, you know, somebody in another state, et cetera. So when we worry, we, it's that whole thing, what we think becomes, you know, manifests itself into reality. So that's why I was saying before that triage that you have to stop and breathe and say, here's our plan B. 
do it. Get park the ego, do it, move on, triage, stop the bleeding, and then we can think about what that next step is. Before we go on, um, let's take a real quick break here, uh, Tim, okay. and then when we come back, I want really to talk more about that preparation because we all know or know someone who's been thrown that curveball, just like the little examples that you and I gave personally. So we'll have a quick break, and then we'll come back and continue to discuss. Okay. A speaker has little value to an audience unless you, the listener, is motivated and empowered to change. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates is a renowned speaker and is an architect of change. Consultations, training, seminars, and speaking engagements are the venues where she affects change. Whether your responsibilities include customer service, sales, marketing, training, executive management, or ownership, and you are seeking change in your organization, then you need to hire Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Connie doesn't just fill your ears with rhetoric. She speaks to the heart and success of your business. So next time you need to hire a speaker, don't hire someone that just talks. Hire an architect of change, Connie Whitman. Just ask for Connie by calling 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. Okay, we are back. We are back with Kim Montgomery, my financial expert. And we are talking about when life throws you those curveballs, how can we better prepare um, for those financial uncertainties. So what, one of the preparations, what do you recommend for people when things are running smoothly? How about if we start with that? I have a huge thing that I tell my clients probably right off the bat that when we're done with credit, repair, restoration, whatever it is that we're doing, there's one thing you have to do if you didn't do it before, if you did it before, You've got to brush it up and maybe increase, and that is Mm. to have a safety net of savings Mm. or insurance or at least somewhere where you know you can go to stop the bleeding in the event that you have another financial crisis setback. And that is probably the most important thing, a rainy day fund. I don't care if it's $100 a month. I tell people sure. 100 bucks a month, just put it back. Just put it in a jar if you have to. But put something to the side. Yeah. Yeah, so simple. You know, everybody, see, this is the thing, because when people talk about budgets and, you know, you should be saving 10% in you know, 10 to 15% in your retirement. You should be giving 10% to charity. You should be doing 10% into savings for a rainy day. And most people say, what am I left with? <laughs> you know? well, I, I have no money to pay my bills. <laughs> in, in January, uh, Bankrate did a survey, and they basically came up with that only 38% of the American public have enough money in their savings account to pay for, let's say, a $500 car repair, you know, or if they get a, they get hurt at home. Generally, it costs $1,000 to go to the ER. And many people don't have that money. Um, And it's sort of, you need to have at least 22% to cover a bill. So you've got to say, okay, Whatever savings that I have, 
I'm going to have to use to pay this particular emergency, no matter what it might be. Sure. That's kind of how you have to think. And unfortunately, whenever I have people and they say, well, you know, where am I going to get that money? And I always say, well, think about 25%. Just in the back of your brain, say, I need to have 25% of my weekly income put back. And then figure out where you're going to reduce in all the stuff that you're paying. Sure. How you're going to reduce that by 25% to put that 25% savings rainy day fund aside. And many sure. people never think of it that way. Yeah, it's funny because um, young people, when they get raises, you know, now that I'm like I'm an old timer, right? But when I talk to young kids and they go, oh, honey, you know, I got a raise. And I say, oh, that's exciting. Congratulations. And I say, okay, now you know the rule. And they look at me and they go, what's the rule? And they said, you weren't living on that money before, right? You didn't need it. And they say, yeah. I said, well, take that $100 a month or if it's a big raise, $500 a month, let's say. Put it in the bank. You didn't need it. You weren't using it to live off of. Put right. it away. But at the end of the year, if you want to take a lavish vacation, you don't have to put it on a credit card. There's your money. If you're saving for a house, there's your four savings, that extra little amount over and above what you were already saving for a house. And I said it recently to a couple of young people who, you know, they just had their reviews and, and got little raises. And, um, you know, one young lady, she got like a $7,000 raise. I think that's a substantial raise, not realized she, she wasn't making, you know, a hundred grand or anything. And when I said that to her, she goes, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. keep living, keep living on what you were living on and forget about the raise and make that your savings even. Right. And that's, that sometimes is even a good place to start, right? If if you don't know where to, where to take it from. The other thing, I don't know, do you subscribe to like Consumer Report, the magazine? I actually don't. I read, I don't actually go online. Whenever I want to read an article about something, I go online and I kind of do my research that way. But I do read, like, um, you know, I do read other financial types of magazines. Most people aren't going to do that. The thing I love about Consumer Report, because it's it's an independent, you know, resource that they're not getting paid for advertising for, but they give you, like, tips. Uh, several times during the year they'll do this, um, you know, energy-saving appliances, how much it'll save you in a year, your cable bill, negotiate the cable bill, um, you know, call up your provider and say, and they give you the average savings for insurance, your cable bill, all these things. And I think we are so busy and we get caught up in just boom, 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 everyday life stuff that we don't stop to say, oh, let me call the cable bill. It did go up $50 a month. Wait a minute. We don't stop to make that phone call to say, uh, no, <laughs> put me down to last year's rate, or guess what? I'll go to Fios or I'll go to one of the other um, companies. We don't think we can negotiate on things, and really you can. Another way to save and come up with that difference that you were already paying, put that in the bank account. You know what I mean? Like little things. Right, and I think, and, and that kind of segues us up, up to another thing, rainy day funds, saving, cutting costs, and all of that dovetails into managing your money. You don't have to be yeah. rich. Yeah. You don't have to be rich, but you can manage what you have. Sure. And, that, and you know, that's a big one, and I think a lot of people um, – you know, want to buy, you know, what was a demise when they started doing leasing cars versus buying? 
And right. not that it's a bad thing. I mean, I, I do get accounts from an accounting standpoint why perhaps leasing is a, is a better option. I get that from a business standpoint. Really, really, though, you're renting. It's just another – you're giving up another ownership of possibly having some kind of asset after you pay it off. And what happens is they lower the leasing rates so you can drive the BMWs and the Mercedes instead of buying the Toyota or a Honda. You know what I mean? Again, it goes back to that ego. I think our ego is evil. Our, you know, our little, that little voice of size that says, I want to live you know, more comfortably. I want more. I want more. I want more. Do you really want more? Do you really need more? Well, I think it's, you know, it's sort of, if we look back in history at, at money and, and just the way things have been in the past, everything needs to be, I think, simplified. And I think, yeah, the ego does yeah. get in the way. And I think a lot of people are uh, have filed for bankruptcy. We have record numbers of people filing for bankruptcy, yeah. not really understanding really what that means. And it because they just overspent, overleveraged, over everything. And, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses, and they've kind of ruined themselves. And it's going back to the simplicity of the past, quite frankly, and that is thinking about the future. You've got to think about the future. I was reading an article in the New York Times this weekend, and they were talking about how if you really want to get ahead, you need to start figuring out how you're going to save before the age of 30. You've got to start getting a plan together now because things are so different. So thinking about the future, you know, saving, you know, not spending money on stuff you really don't need. Yeah. So budgets, you know, it's, it's funny that I I share the story with you with my son when he got his job and I said to him, um, this is my older guy, he's 18 now and I, he must've been about 15 at the time. And I says, when you get a job and you earn over $500, I just want you to give me that $500 and you take whatever the difference is. And now think about 15 year old kid, $500 seems like, you know, the world, like how much money is that? And I said, give it to, give it to, you know, daddy and I, and we'll put it into a Roth IRA. And his first instinct was, you're not stealing my money. Like I would ever steal their money. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I said, well, you let me finish my, my thought. And what, how are you taking my money? And <laughs> so I said, get right that thought, but like, what are you going to do with that money? Like I, right. Like I would do anything bad. So I said, well, the Roth IRA, let me explain what it is. And I explained, you put that 500, it grows tax deferred. But when you take it out at age 65, you'll have over a million dollars in there just from leaving it in a semi-aggressive investment. And I explained, you know, stocks and all that. And he looked at me and he goes, can we do more than 500? (laughs) See, hey, hey, you know, education. Education is the key. Education is the key. Yes, when he heard the 500, I was stealing. When he heard the million, he was like, you're brilliant. You know, that million dollars. But they mm-hmm. get it. They get it. Because that's like, who have to be a millionaire? Although I didn't tell him that at that point it would be like $50,000 today. <laughs> and that, and that is, you, you guys set a goal, and that's called financial planning. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's, so it's, setting goals and, yeah, meeting your goals, setting the goals. I don't care how small or big or, you know, whatever, that's part of the whole deal, to be prepared. Set goals. You can start today. You know, people think, oh, but it's going to take, no, a dollar. Put a dollar in a jar. 
exactly right. It adds up. It adds up quickly. And, you know, it's funny because my husband and I, uh, we just had our 23rd anniversary and we were, you know, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we were reminiscing and all that. And, you know, I said to him, what would you have done differently in the 23 years? I know you wanted to marry someone else, you know, just. <laughs> you got me, you know, when you get me, you get me 100%, right? Why would you want anything else? But I, I said to him, what would you have done differently? And he and I both agreed that we would do different things from a financial standpoint. We would have uh, started putting more into our 401k when we were in our 20s. Because um, we can live without a lot of stuff that you don't realize, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. We never were big the cars, like lavish cars. We always bought. We never leased, stuff like that. We're pretty conservative. We never took lavish vacations that we couldn't afford, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but financially, there were a couple of things where we said, ah, we wish we had done that differently. We put an extension on our house. We're like, ah, we wish we put more cash into it than doing the home equity, and you know, which we've paid off since. You know what I'm saying? Like little things like that. We're like, wow, we would have had another 20,000 or we might have had another 5,000 here. So that is our only regret and it was all financial. So isn't that interesting? Mhm. Yeah. That is uh that means that uh you guys need to write a book on relationships next. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, let's say that. Okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I'm going to tell my husband that one. He'll just get a good chuckle out of that. I think that's why it's important now. I know, and I've said this before to you. I don't know whether it was on the air or personally in our conversations. My 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 home, Bell High School, they have a financial literacy that is a required elective, which is kind of you know funny. It should just be a requirement, not necessarily an elective. But freshman year, they have to take financial literacy, and it's a full two semesters, so it's a half a year. And they go through budgets, they go through stocks, what a stock is, what a bond is, what a portfolio looks like. They give them play money, and they have to manage their stock and bond portfolio and manage it and, and all of this. Um, I, I don't know. You would know better than me. Do most of the schools in the United States now have that requirement? No. There no. is, I mean, some of them, some states do, um, but unfortunately, um, a lot of schools don't have it, and the schools that really need it, such as the inner city schools sure. and sure. some of the schools in more low-income communities who really need it, they don't have it. Yeah. And that's actually something I'm doing with my uh, not, not-for-profit organization, um, trying to bring financial literacy education to those communities sure. that are most in need. And I think when you talk about teenagers, high schoolers, um, there are a couple of facts that they have to kind of deal with that's going to be something that will affect them in the future financially, and that is mm-hmm. we live in changing times, and yeah. there are fewer good job opportunities now. Um, We're going into a technological age. Um, The wages will be lower. Um, There's no more loyalty. So whereas our parents stayed at a company. um, No more pensions, right? Right. No more pensions. Right. Um, You know, our parents stayed at companies. Um, You know, so there's really no more loyalty. And basically there's uh, the generations that came after us um, not all, but I think the ones that are in high school now, early 20s, uh, maybe early 30s now, mm-hmm. um, things are very different now. And I think that you have to be 
financially astute in ways that you didn't have to be 40, you know, 50, 40 years ago. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the credit is tighter. It's going to become tighter. Yeah. Um, you know, things can be checked out, you know, because of technology and, you know, credit is so very, very important. Financial stability is so very, very important. Uh, here today, gone tomorrow. And if you've got no um, savings and no, you know, rainy day monies, the federal safety net is not your friend. Um, we had talked earlier about the insurance, the Obamacare. Everyone mm. thinks that's a panacea and it's turning out to be somewhat of a nightmare. Because uh-huh. it really only covers, even in my own experience as a self-employed person, uh-huh. I have sort of found this whole thing with Obamacare to be a bit of a kind of a crazy situation for me. And I'm, you know, kind of sitting here spending a lot more money for maybe what I didn't need to. And, and you know, because the programs I might have used are gone away because of this, sure. this situation. So. I've had to kind of rebudget the way I do my stuff so that I can do this healthcare thing and, you know, whatnot. So it, it's going to be a different place and a different landscape for a lot of young people. So I wish that financial literacy would become something that was a requirement, not only at the high school level, but in, in a basic way at the elementary school level and sure. most definitely at the college level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they have all these core classes. You would think that budgeting 101, you know, a simple, even if it's just a semester of it, but I, I do, I agree with you. I think we need to educate. We really do need to educate our kids, especially because when my mom and dad never had, there were no credit cards. There was, it didn't exist. And, you know, now we live off credit cards. For, like that's how we pay some people pay bills that's dangerous because now you have compound interest working against you not in your favor so it's a little scary Kim I want to just pause here and ask everybody listening you know I hope that you're inspired by Kim and I in our conversation today you know I hope that our topic is thought-provoking so that we're not complacent in you know reaching our full potential whatever that is whatever that means means to you and changing I hope the context that Kim and I are talking to changing something no matter how small can make a difference or changing the perspective of how you've looked at saving for a rainy day if we've if we've enticed you to even look for that other perspective or to come up with that plan B or to put that dollar a day away um, I'm happy. I mean, that's that's what I think we're, we're trying to do here. I need to hear from you guys. And, and there's two things that I, I think, if you have something to say to me, these would be the, the two avenues. The first one is, I really do want to hear your ideas, feedback, and topic ideas that you'd like in the future. Um, you know, Kim, I think the financial uh, backdrop of, of today's economy is such a paramount relevant conversation and I've asked him to come on a second time do you want to hear that you know I mean I I want to make sure the conversations are relevant to you so that's one area I'd really want you guys to reach out to me the second is if the conversations I talk about and you think oh I really need help with that personally or for my company or um, you know for my small business you, you just call me 
reach out to me. And my email address is Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. Of course, you can email me at 732, I mean, I'm sorry, call me directly at 732 area code 888-1420. And definitely go to my website. There's just such a wealth of, of free information for you and resources for either you or your employees. And the uh, website's www.WhitmanAssociates.com. Um, so those are two things. If I can help you, definitely reach out or your company, et cetera. And if, if there's other ideas or uh, topics that you want to uh, discuss or you want us to discuss, lay it on the table. Email me. I'm happy to do it. Um, you know, challenging you, your company, and, and challenging your personal comfort zone to sustain growth, again, whatever that means to you, I, I really am inspired to help you do that. So please, uh, again, email me at Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com, and I'm, I'm happy to help you guys out. Um, so thank you for that, Kim. I just wanted to throw that out there. You know, I come up with the topic, you know, when you and I spoke a, a couple of months ago and we said, oh, this would be, I, I think, such an important topic, how to make those little changes, right, to prepare. Um, but I want to hear what everybody thinks because maybe right. they don't really care what you or I have to say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, okay, so the next thing I want to kind of transition Again, little adds up to, the, to, to a lot. Having that plan B kind of is what we discussed so far. It's just really important, and I think it, if we have that plan in place, you can just kind of breathe a little bit easier. So now let's talk about, all right, so this is great, girls. You know, we can plan for the future, but hey, guess what? I've had an illness. I've lost a job. I am now in recovery mode from those financial uncertainties. Um, so what, what do I do now? So what do you? What can you um, help help to define what the process of recovery and ideas on how they can do that? Well, I think the first thing again is to first of all figure out where your money is coming from, and to sort of look at what you've got coming in. What you know? What kind of money do I have coming in? Um, what are the other forms of quote-unquote money I have coming in, Um, and basically figure out what my bills are, all of my sources of money slash income, including my earning income. And then I think from that point, you have to create your plan, and there is a money calculator that I use um, and a website called Smart About Money. And it's basically how much money do I need for emergencies. Hmm. And you can fill it out and it will kind of tell you. So now you've got a, a number in the back of your mind. You're hmm. coming back from an emergency and you know what's going on. So you want to start planning for that. And so that is the first step and that is taking control of your financial future. Okay, so that's the first thing. What happens if the money coming in and the money going out doesn't equate, meaning whatever their living situation is, is costing more than the the income that's coming in? Let's say they they had a job loss. They're making much less than they were. What are are some ways to stabilize so that um, the earning can either equate to the what's going out or how to minimize what's going out to match the earnings. Did, did that just make sense what I said? Yes. Um, you have to, first of all, get into a space, I call it two, two things, a space of mindful spending. 
So know what you're spending, even if it's, you know, getting a notebook and writing down. I have heard that since I was probably about 10 years old. Write down what you're spending. And one year I finally did it. I said, let me, let me do this. You know, you hear it. You hear lots of things, but you don't do it. I sat down and I wrote up what I was spending. And I was amazed at what I spent at the grocery. I was amazed that I was going to Starbucks three and four mm. times a week. And I actually cut mm. that out completely once sure. I saw the numbers. I don't even go to Starbucks anymore. I drink coffee at home every day. Um, you know, and I just cut out a lot of things that I was doing. And I said, I'm going to put that money into a rainy day fund. So I, you know, I opened a separate account and it, it's $5. I put the $5 in the account. And so I think the first thing is to look at what you're spending. And if you know you have less money coming in, you know you got to cut someplace. Sure. You've got to cut someplace. So you have to start prioritizing. And prioritizing is, again, going back to the way you think about money. And mm. we're socialized as young children about money. And that socialization of money plays a big role in how people subsist throughout their lives. And it can, you give, can you give an example? Can you give an example well, of how we're socialized? I, I will give a personal example. My mother and okay. father, uh, my father worked at General Electric for 40 years. My mother was a secretary uh, mm-hmm. for a city agency in our, our state. And... Mm-hmm. My mother was a cash and carry person. My parents were like cash and carry. You know, my mother would go to the grocery and she would have a wad of money in her bra. And that is a true story. And she'd pull it out. And she'd pull it out right at the cash register. And she'd have a wad of money. And that's how she paid for, you know, and we we were a family of five. And, you know, she had three kids and we were growing kids. And, you know, she'd have three or four gallons of milk and, you know, so she'd pull off this wad of money, and she that's how she did the grocery shopping. And What I would happen, her. wait, Kim, what would happen if she didn't have enough money? She would put things back. No. She, well, she pretty much knew what it was going to be. And she was, okay. it was pretty much the that's same bill hilarious. every week. It was pretty much that's the same hilarious. bill every week. But, but I guess I'm telling that story because I didn't grow up with that sort of thing. And uh, when I was, I think I was about 12 years old, my parents had bought a brand new car. Mm-hmm. This was the first time they had bought something on credit, and they bought a brand new car. And my father ended up having a car accident in the car, Ooh. Ooh. and basically within I think six months or something, my parents had to file for bankruptcy <gasps> because they they really had screwed up their finances and this and that. So um, this past Christmas, my father and I kind of had this whole conversation about that, and he mm-hmm. said, "You know what? After that happened, I said I was." going to pay cash for everything and we didn't get we really didn't use credit again after that wow and i kind of learned that lesson uh from my parents so i was kind of socialized initially as a cash and carry and because of my career on wall street at one point when i was fairly young younger i made a lot of money and Mm -hmm. so because i didn't really have that sort of backbone i had all the trappings and this and that and you know, always had money in my pocket and, you know, I just mm. had this sort of lifestyle. Um, but I learned sort of over the years sort of what that lesson my father learned. I didn't have to file for bankruptcy, but I learned and I changed. And so when I had the downturn, like I said earlier, my business in yeah. 2009, I was able to come back from that bit by bit by bit by bit by bit. Sure. Sure. To sort of rebuild myself personally as well as financially 
and sure. as well as a business. And I did the very thing that you spoke about earlier. I had a house, and I sold my house. Yep. You know, I sold my house just before the bottom fell out of the real estate market because I saw wow. it coming. And I knew I'm going to get stuck with this expense, and I need to liquidate now to save myself. And I was able to do it. And, again, that's being aware. That's paying attention. And, again, thinking about how was I socialized? Is it going to work for me going forward? Because if you got in a bad space and it's what you know, then maybe it's time to rethink what you know. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I I think that's all that self-assessment. I talk about that a lot, too, but I just think it's so important. Not only do we have to self-assess our own abilities, because every day you want to learn something. You want to keep developing skill. That makes you more marketable. Also, as God forbid, there's a layoff or something else. What skills are you developing, not only on the not talking about money solely, but it's almost like money in the bank. If you continue to develop your own skill and something goes wrong with your company and they go bankrupt or they downsize and your job is eliminated, you're on the street now looking for a job. What skills do you have? What are you bringing to the table? So right. I, when, whenever I do my training, I tell anybody, because I get all ages through my training, but I tell them, Hey, guys, this isn't my class. This is your class. So, yes, am I right. going to go through the sales stuff? Am I going to go through the coaching stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course I am. There's topic, and I'll, I'll stay on topic. But what do you, the individual, want to walk away getting better at? What is that piece for you? What is that not in your stomach that, oh, I wish I was better at? What is that skill? Be selfish. Tell me, and I will make sure before you leave here that I give you something to read or I give you something that I've used that has worked or I I teach you something to practice to develop into a skill, whatever it is. But you got to be selfish. So not only should we self-assess like you're saying, should I sell this house now? Because the future, what if, what if, this is kind of on the expensive side. Let me downsize my housing situation get some cash flow, I'll breathe better. If the economy turns, I'll be okay. So that not only do we have to self-assess financially, but we have to self-assess our skill level and continue to make ourselves marketable to make sure that we are making money, right? That we're, we're, we can make money if, God forbid, there's a, a downturn in the market or whatever it is, right? Yes. And, and you know, being diligent about your finances, the first thing you should do also, I think, coming out of a sort of a, a downturn or a negative situation is to get your credit report. Um, Priorities, Because yeah. I think a lot of people don't know what's on their credit. They don't know what's happened. They are not really sure. And I yeah. think that because that's what I do all day, I get people's credit report and I'm able to say to them, okay, here's what we need to do. We need to get you back to this place and blah, 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 because, even if you do not have maybe the income that you had previously or all the assets you had and, and you've had to reduce and cut back, your hmm. friend will be a high FICO. Your friend will be good credit down the road. It will, it will change your situation in giving you flexibility of choice. Now you sure. have choices. You know, I meet a lot of people whose credit is really, really bad. And that mm-hmm. eliminates a vast majority of their choices. And even, you know, you just talked about, you know, get your skills up, be marketable, and this and that. And that's all well and good. Well, guess what? In this day and age and with the way things are going, two things important. Employers are looking at credit. Yeah. 
that's true too, right? We have to we have to make sure that we maintain the that number uh, that credit number. Okay, let's break here for our last break, and then we have about okay. fourteen minutes left, and we'll wrap right. up with. I know I go it goes fast. I know. <laughs> After the break, though, I do want to talk about um, specifically women and the pitfalls that you know, can especially be difficult for, for females. I know men go through too, but and we could share some stories that we've known that female have not been prepared or unaware of the finances because the husband was taking care of and that kind of thing. So let's take one okay. more break and then we'll come, we'll come back and finish up with that. Okay, fantastic. It's a shame when you're feeling stuck in your business and you feel like you have nowhere to turn. It's a shame when you slog through long days in your business and you don't get any return. It's a shame when you feel like you can't see the forest for the trees and your business brings you to your knees. Einstein said repeating the same actions over and over won't produce different results. So stop feeling ashamed. Your business and you deserve better. Change that shame into righteous fame. Connie Whitman can tame that shame. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates will help you to discover your new path and nothing will ever be the same. Connie's tried and true one-on-one coaching sessions will tame that shame so you and your business will not continue in vain. Call Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates today at 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. Call Connie. Turn that shame into your game. Okay, we are back and we are here with Kim Montgomery and we are talking about just finances, being mindful, being aware, having plans in place, bad things happen, but we could certainly plan for that and recover from um, different crises. In the last topic, our last uh, few minutes together, I do want to talk about the pitfalls that can be especially difficult and, and for women. And I know that men and women have similar experiences and events, you know, in their life, but what issues have you seen, especially because you're a specialist in this area, but what issues have you seen specific to women? Well, I think that for me, I not only do the credit, but in my previous career, uh, I worked with women in prison and coming out of prison. I remember that, that was Yeah, and so that was, you know, I've basically been on the front lines of women with literally nothing Nothing before they went to prison, and many are in prison because of selling drugs, because economically they just couldn't make it. And I think that the main thing that I see is women are left holding the bag. They do not Mm. have, they don't have jobs that pay a living wage. The, I would say, 85% of women out there who are low income and single mothers they they bear the brunt. They've got children. They have to deal with health care. They have to deal with daycare. They have to deal with everyday expenses like food and gas and, and, you know, a place to live alone. And they just don't have jobs where they make a living wage mm. or they're victims of domestic violence or they're in yeah. relationships that are just, you know, not working for them. So it's, you know, the financial crisis for these women is something that is just huge and ongoing. And and it's not just low-income women. I have a client who is actually a well-educated social worker, but Hmm. she is a single mother. She's got huge student loan debt. 
and she is quite literally drowning in in debt. You know, she has debt, and she is stressed beyond belief. She has a special needs child. Oh my goodness! Um, and she just has a lot going on, and so it's it's not just it's not just low income women or you know, but women in general. We bear the brunt of the financial crisis, I think, times 10. You know? It's interesting. It's interesting that you said that. Um, you know, I live in a, in a very nice town, you know, that God, right? That I'm, I'm blessed. But the number of women that I have encountered through, you know, my 20 years living in this town, <laughs> they remain married in a not healthy relationship because they don't want to give up the lifestyle or for fear that they won't be able to survive because they were stay-at-home moms, so to speak, or they gave up their career to be married and have the kids. And the husband is the breadwinner, and they're afraid that they're going to walk away with nothing. And it's, it's sad that you say that. I think that we put ourselves, not always, but we put ourselves in these victim, that's not really a good word, um, but in these dangerous situations where we have to be more financially aware and financially independent, you know, I have nieces and my sister's doing an awesome job raising them to be, uh, you know, independent financially so that they don't ever have to, you know, rest on whatever their husband makes, you know what I mean? So that if God forbid something happens that let's say they get married and something prematurely happens to their spouses that they'll survive. So I I give credit to my sister for teaching my both sisters have have daughters. I give them credit for that because I, I really think that we have to educate the women today to be financially independent and, and, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom. And then when we were in college, went back to work. So, Times are changing. I mean, you said that several times. Is right. there anything? Is there anything that you think, or pitfalls that they may be able to avoid? Do you have recommendations on on how to avoid situations? Um, I think the most important thing is knowledge. Is, is the most important thing. I think mm. women need to avail themselves of education that's out there. Yeah. Not to be followers, not to allow a man to yeah. or a husband or a spouse to control their finances. I yes. think that if we could throw out a single most important piece, education, and I think from education comes, you know, the rainy day fund and putting money back and, and sure. saving and having something and, you know, not finding yourself in a situation where you just can't make it. Um, If you don't know where to go, call Connie, call somebody like me and ask, you know, um, there's resources, right? There are resources. Use technology. That's another huge thing. Um, There are apps that you can download for your phone. Now I don't, I don't recommend these apps to do credit repair and, and to follow the credit. But I do recommend these apps just to stay on top of what's going on, if your expenses and so forth. Um, and I would say that most women, when I go into the prisons and I do a financial empowerment piece, mm. I always pass out what I call the financial empowerment resource sheet. 
And that is something that I give every woman. And I ask her to fill it out, just a basic sheet. And then I'm able to look at with them where the strengths are in terms of what they've got coming in or not sure. and, what, and how we need to create a plan. So, again, it goes back to that original plan. thought that we had about creating a plan and sticking sure. to the plan. Sure. And I don't care if it's a dollar. That dollar will add up. Yeah. It, again, planning is just so critical in life. And and here's the thing. You plan. It doesn't mean your plan is going to come to fruition because life throws curveballs. But if you don't have any plan in place, you're really behind the eight ball when that devastation hits. And it's funny. I know men are listening saying, yeah, well, you know, women, whatever. I I know that there are, in my own friendships, you know, my own circle of friends, the husbands try to protect their wives also from when the finances are a little bit distressed and, and what have you, um, you know, if they didn't get as big a bonus or something like that. So I, I think men try to protect, which is, is commendable. I think women need to say to their husband, I love you for protecting me, but please can you show me the budget? Please can you show me how I can save? Please can you show me so that I have more control um, and truly a partnership, a financial partnership in the marriage I think is important as well, right? Yes, and and I think on that sort of note in terms of family, because you're talking about family and, sure. and sort of links, I'm going to sort of, I guess, I guess go out on this. Um, I think it is critically important for the women out there who are listening today. Um, if you have children, no matter what age they are, as Connie has talked earlier about with her sons, please start early preparing yeah. them for whatever may befall them in a financial sense. Sure. Uh, whether it is getting them a, a little credit card, teaching them about finances, teaching them about budgeting, um, putting, creating rainy day fund. You know, everybody had a piggy bank when we were little, but no sure. Here, put this penny in the piggy bank. But what does that mean exactly? And start start working with your children now and teaching them about the things that can happen uh, and prepare them, you know, now to at least be educated. And I and and here's the thing, like you said, there's so many resources out there. Um, what what was the um, smart about money? I wrote that down. That smart website. about money is excellent. Excellent website. And, and, and bef- before you, what was bankrate.com? Was that the other one you read? Bankrate.com is a website I read every day. It's from my old Wall Street days. And every day it's, I go to bankrate.com and I just read whatever's on there. And uh, they awesome. basically give you, yeah. And it's, it's you know, it's amazing in terms of giving you information. You're yeah. able to, you know, know what's going on. I think in terms of kids, um, there is a, um, national financial education um, dot it's it's nefe dot org, which is an excellent uh, financial planning for kids, for high school students, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and again, parents can learn a lot at that website as well. And sure. you know, and it's again, it's just you can do your own financial empowerment, and this is for the whole audience. Just you know create a financial empowerment resource sheet and just write out what it sure. is you've got, what you've got coming in, what you would like to have. And it's very, very, very simple, but adhere to it. And again, it's, yeah. it's starting small. 
Yeah, start small. Again, small adds up to huge. And as you get those little raises, put a little bit extra, put a little bit extra. Right. Um, and before you know it, you, you have more than you thought you ever would. It's the simple things that really right. add up to big events in life, I think. Right. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's that's great advice. We, we really are out of time. Um, any final thoughts? My final thoughts would be, and this would be another show, maybe I will be on it, maybe I will not, because I'm not an expert in these two areas. But in in addition to everything we've talked about today, I would say two other pieces that get very little little discussion, and that Uh is estate planning. Uh And we were talking earlier about student loans and what happens if, you know, something happens with regard to – you know, people no longer being around and, and, you know, deaths and so forth and accidents. So estate planning and the, the, the importance and value of insurance. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, that's, that's a, another good one. I mean, I've always had, I sold insurance early on in my career and you, you got to have it in place for the, the odds even though the odds are against ever cashing in, and I hope I never have to, you need it in place because I do want my kids to get an education. I don't want my husband to lose the house and vice versa. So we've always had insurance on each other, and you make sure that bill is paid because you never, never know. Right. Um, Kim, thank you. Thank you so much for being on again. I hope everybody took some notes on the strategies and, and you know, that we discussed in those those um, websites, Smart About Money, Bankrate.com, and National Financial Organization for Kids. Did I get that right? The National uh, Education Finance. Yeah. Yes. It's N-E-F-E. N-E-F-E. Yes. Okay, so help people check that out. Again, there's there's resources to help us educate and figure out what the next um, idea is. The bottom line of our discussion today is, I think, be prepared now financially to help when those mishaps do happen. And if a mishap has happened, just breathe and move forward with a plan and, and things really do fall into place and that the little little pieces of money could add up to the big. I hope everyone learned or found some thought-provoking tips that you guys can explore and bring you to the next level of your financial um, security and safety. Um, If you'd like to speak to Kim directly, I'm going to give you uh, her contact information. Her number is area code 917-334-9129. Her email is km, Kim Montgomery, km at acr the number four, the letter U, dot com. So I'm going to repeat it. It's KM at ACR4U.com. And, of course, you can go to her website at www.acr4u.com. Kim, thank you so much for being on the show. I do think we should plan on doing another show uh, with estate planning where we were also talking about um, aging parents and how to be able to financially take care of them. So again, folks, email me. Let me know if that's something that would be interesting to you. Kim, thank you again. I, I look forward to chatting with you in the near future. Thank you, Connie. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, always a pleasure. 
Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you all for joining me. You've been listening to Architect of Change with me, your host, Connie Whitman, on webtalkradio.net. I look forward to seeing you all next week. Have an awesome week. Go out and start doing some financial planning. Save a dollar a day. Um, Do something and have a beautiful, wonderful, exciting week. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Architect of Change with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Thank you for tuning in. We're glad you were here. Time may change me, but I can't.